reflect on the one that that Jesus looked into. I think, and I don't know how you felt about this, right? Peter just fascinates me. He's such an extraordinary mess of a human being. And that makes me feel good. Because I'm an extraordinary mess of a human being. We all are. And that Jesus looked into Peter, and, and, and I get choked up every time I sing that song, because the idea that Peter, Jesus knew everything that Peter would do, all of his failures and all of his difficulties and all of his struggles and all of his denials, and, and Jesus looked into him and he saw something. And what did he see? I mean, we, we look at that and we go, man, what, what audacity Jesus had to say to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. I mean, and you got to imagine, I mean, most of the disciples are cousins and stuff. They know each other. And so when Jesus says that to Peter, I just picture the other ones, like Andrew, his brother, and James and John, who are probably his cousins, going, what? Peter? You know, Simon? Really? Of all the guys we're going to pick, Simon, he's going to be the rock? But Jesus saw something about Peter. And I, and I think we Protestants, sometimes we downplay Peter because we're so afraid. Uh, you know, the Roman Catholics exalt him. You know, the Pope is, is the successor of Peter. And so we're so afraid of, of, of doing that. But this is Jesus' best friend. And he was, he was like it or not, the head of the church for, for the book of Acts. I mean, and not, not the head as in, as in Jesus is the head of the body, but he was the human guy. He was the authority. When he spoke, the other disciples listened. I mean, he's one of the, the two big hitters, Peter and, and Paul. And, and so he's just this extraordinary guy that I think sometimes we, he becomes almost a caricature of himself in our minds. And, and, and it's, it's really, as I'm, as I'm reading, this, this, um, reading through his letters again and again and again and, and kind of exploring this and how does it fit, I mean, it's, it's really interesting if you have the time um, if you're going to go on vacation, you're going to have nothing else to do, you know, because we're all, we've got nothing but free time. But if you have the time to read the Gospel of Mark and then read First and Second Peter, just kind of read them together and, and ask yourself, who is this guy that's telling this story? What, what is it about him? He's just such a fascinating person and I'm extraordinarily amazed by him. Um, but we're, and I'm amazed by what Jesus does with him. That's even more extraordinary is what, what Jesus does with him. It gives me hope for myself um, that, that Christ has got a lot more planned for me. It's, and here's another thing. So, so next next uh, next Monday, uh, I turn 39. All right, so I'm I'm getting old, right? All right. Um, it was funny last night. We we're watching Newsies. All right, and um, and we're we're and first of all, I I don't like musicals, and I thought I liked Newsies, and then. I watched it, I'm like, man, there's more music in here than I remember. Uh, but uh, we're watching Newsies, and I'm realizing that all of these guys are only a couple years older than me. Christian Bale is only two years older than me, and um, you know the, these, these characters. I'm like, man, and I'm, this, I'm almost the same age. I'll be the same age um, this, this, when I turn 39. I'll be the same age my dad was when we moved to Massachusetts uh, 23 years ago. Um, so, so now I'm, it's kind of like you realize... This has nothing to do with the message. But you realize that Will Smith is older now than the guy who played his uncle in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was when they started that show. Uh, That's just, you get old and it happens fast, right? It's just, what what happened? 
You know, I know it's happened a lot faster for the rest of you. All right, but but it's it's wild to think next year I'll be 40, and I, I you know, I'm I'm kind of excited. I I don't look at getting old. I don't I don't look at aging as as a bad thing. I'm not obsessed with being young. Yeah. Ask ask my wife if I don't hurt. I, I yeah. But uh, but the you know here's the thing. I mean. I, I just, I just, I love what God is doing. So I don't know how I got on that age diatribe. Let's go back to First Peter. Um, oh, I remember what it was because you realize Peter has a mother-in-law and children when Jesus calls him as a disciple, and so Peter is probably, he's probably in his 30s, if not his 40s. Um, he's an older guy. I mean, the fact that his mother-in-law lives with him tells us that his father-in-law is dead, um, and so, so it's, it's, it's. Peter, Peter is an older guy when Jesus calls him, and, and um, which is, which makes the the contest. By the way, this is another side note, but it makes the confrontation in the book of Galatians, the confrontation between the apostles Peter and Paul, more interesting, because Paul is younger than Jesus. He he may be even younger than John, um, and so he's he's very young. So when they have that confrontation, he's probably in his maybe his late 30s, early 40s, and Peter is probably, he's, he's probably edging 50 or 60 years old, and Paul, Peter listens to Paul. It's, it's a really weird situation, but anyway, we'll get into that. It has absolutely no normative value. That means there's no reason to, that that establishes our behavior. First Peter chapter, one, chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. And we're in that difficult passage with Peter, in First Peter, the 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 previous few verses, Peter has told his people to honor the emperor and fear God. And I remember last week, the highest form of honor for those we disagree with is informed dissent, and that Peter knows that the person he is calling them to honor him could very well kill him, and and that is actually what happens. He's he's martyred. And, um, and so there's this extraordinary idea of submission to authority that, that comes through in Peter's, Peter's words. And you say, why is this a big deal? Um, and we're, we're going to get into that, but why is it a big deal? Um, well, the reality was the Jews, ever since about, um, it happens a little bit before Christ is crucified. Um, so around 25 uh, AD and on, the Jews have had this constant cycle of rebelling against Roman authority. Uh, Pontius Pilate, you guys know Pontius Pilate, right? Um, you know, crucifies Jesus. Pontius Pilate was actually exiled because he massacred a bunch of Jews. He circled, put them on a mountain somewhere, like told them there was, something was going on. Nobody really knows the details of the story. But he did something so absolutely brutal um, that the emperor recalled him and exiled him to, um, to Iberia, to Spain. Um, and, and he disappears. We don't know what happened. He was uh, probably, probably shipwrecked or just disappeared into uh, obscurity. But, but he, was, he was ruthless because he had to be. Uh, the Jews were constantly causing trouble. And eventually, shortly after, um, right about this time, there is an, uh, a general by the name of uh, Vespasian, and his two sons, um, uh, Titus and Domitianus, who are commanders of the military, who will eventually go to Israel and they will fight a war with the Jews over the temple tax and, and the Jews will be wiped out in Masada. If you've ever heard about Masada, the fortress Masada and how they're all wiped out, the siege of Jerusalem, the, the, the raising of the temple, all that's going to happen within about 
within about 15 years of the time that, um, that Peter writes this letter. So there's a lot going on. And so what is Peter saying to the believers, to the Christians? He says, look, he says, honor the emperor. Fear God, but honor the emperor. Don't, don't fight over silliness. Um, and it's, it, there's a lot going on here. And I wish I had more time to really get into even more that's happening. But, but he says that. So in verse 18 of chapter 2, servants, uh, the, the Greek word is, is uh, doulos, uh, slaves. Right? We've, we've mellowed it out, but, but it's slaves. That's what it means. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us wisdom to see Christ in the written word. We respond with our being and our hearts as well as our minds to these words of your your man, Peter. Specifically chosen by your son. Gifted and equipped and led in all of his brokenness and failing. Help us to hear his voice and in his voice to hear the Holy Spirit's words. Pray this for the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The emotional content of this passage more than anything else convinces me that Peter is the author of 1 Peter. Now, there's some arguments that people argue about whether Peter really wrote it, and, um, and there's a lot of, of scholars who say that, that Peter didn't write Second Peter, um, and I think those people, for the most part, are just coming up with reasons to, they don't want to deal with a difficult passage of Scripture. Um, and, and I can unpack that later if you want, but I, just, I believe the early church believed they were written by Peter, and I'm going to go with their opinion. Um, he, Peter believes he wrote it because he puts his name at the beginning. Um, so, but, uh, but the emotional content of this particular portion of First Peter is so definitely Peter's voice. Why? Why is it so definitely Peter's voice? There were only two of the disciples in the courtyard when Jesus was being judged. Peter and John. 
And we don't know where John went. He follows Jesus the whole time. And John seems to somehow possibly, here's an interesting thing, John somehow knows somebody in the household of the high priest. John is somehow connected. Um, We don't know where, but he's the one that gets Peter in. And Peter in the courtyard, that's where Peter does his denials during the Passion story. That's where he denies it. And it's very clear from Mark, which is Peter's gospel, that Peter could see what was happening with Jesus. And Jesus could see Peter. And that changes the way we read lines like um, in verse 23, and continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Because unlike every other, and you need to get this, unlike every other disciple, Peter saw Jesus being judged. He and John saw it. They were the two that saw it. Everybody else got it secondhand. I mean, some of the disciples probably were watching in the crowd when Jesus was crucified. They heard the story that, you know, da 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 but, but Peter was there. Now, he was not there for Jesus' crucifixion. It seems that he... He left at that point and didn't see it happen. John sees the crucifixion, so John is the one who records the crucifixion better. But in Mark, we we understand that that Peter is there. He watched Jesus. Now, what, what significant is that? We need to remember that Peter was also there at the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter saw Christ's divine glory. Peter saw Jesus raise people from the dead. Peter saw Jesus walk through crowds of people that wanted to stone him, and they weren't able to touch him. Peter saw Jesus heal the blind. Peter saw Jesus heal the lame. But he saw Jesus also manifest a certain divine attribute. Peter was also there when the... the, um, the, the soldiers came to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter tried to defend Jesus, and Jesus rebuked him. And those memories sit in Peter's head. If Peter is anything like me, something like that that he doesn't understand because it seems so paradoxical, how could someone who had all of that glory and all of that power and, and, and he could do so many things and whenever he wanted, he could be untouched by people around him. How does he go through this thing? And Peter, we, from the book of Acts, it's pretty obvious that Peter is a voracious reader of the Bible. Now, it, it's possible that he, because he's an older guy, it's very possible that Peter actually learned to read at an older age um, because he wasn't a rabbinical student. And so reading for him was a novelty he loved to do it and he seems to constantly be trying to study the bible he's he's in the book of acts when when judas has has uh, killed himself it's peter who's searching the book of psalms and finds a reference that that they should pick another another apostle i mean peter is he's always in there and i just imagine peter after jesus has ascended i just imagine peter still going over the scriptures and saying why Did he do it that way? Why did Jesus go the way he went? Why did he he entrust himself to those soldiers? Why did he trust? I mean, what on earth was he thinking trusting Ananias and Caiaphas? He knew they were going to deceive him. Why, Why on earth didn't he just speak up? If he had spoken up, if he had just declared what he was really doing, what were they going to do, crucify him for healing people? 
Why did he, he sit there and let them judge him? Why was Jesus so passive? And Simon Peter, I think, encounters what's called the suffering Messiah. Book of Isaiah. Uh, it's Isaiah 53, I think. And you can read the passage, but in that passage, the, he quotes that passage here. By his wounds you are healed. I think that it's Peter who realizes that that applies to Jesus. Since I mentioned it, I might as well go over there real quick. Peter, by the way, is not like the Apostle Paul where he'll say things like, the scriptures say, almost like quotations. Peter, it's just part of his vocabulary. He just, he just spouts it. He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, and as, from, as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and sor- carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed, and all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Elsewhere, Isaiah says, down further in the chapter, it was, the Lord was pleased to bruise him. I picture Peter, maybe in a synagogue somewhere, you know, having asked the rabbi and probably gotten John to get permission from the rabbi to be able to go over the Torah scroll and get into this passage in Isaiah, or maybe just sitting in a service. Imagine... Imagine sitting in a service being Peter and that's the reading that they're reading from, the, from, the, from the, uh, the prophets in the synagogue service. Now that's an interesting image that just popped into my head. But I just see Peter hearing these words and going, that's Jesus. That, that's why he did it. That's, that's why he, he went the way he went. That's why he, he submitted. Because it was the Lord's will to crush him. He says that's why he did it. Because his wounds carried our transgressions. That's why he went the way that he went. Because we like sheep have all gone astray. Now think about that line. What had all of the disciples done when Jesus was, when was, Jesus was arrested? They abandoned him. Peter was with them. And then John says, hey, I can get you into the courtyard. What do you think? Peter goes in, and of course, what's the first thing he does? He gets in, he goes, well, I'm cold, puts his hands on the fire, and not on the fire, by the fire. He's like, oh, I'm just... But, but <laughs> Peter, Peter is in there, and, and he's denying Christ. He's terrified. So even though he's physically present, he has spiritually abandoned Christ. He is a sheep who has gone astray. I think Peter hears the suffering servant. I, I, I think that this passage is burned into Peter's memory because he finally comes to understand that Jesus is the suffering Messiah. That Jesus, and this is going to sound somewhat heretical, trust me, I don't intend it to be. 
Jesus is our wounded God. A God who has been struck by our sin. A God who has taken the judgment of our sin and our trespasses because He alone could. I think for Peter, this is all it takes for him to endure any suffering in Jesus' name. He watched Jesus. We, we look at it from a distance. We, we do our, our Easter thing every year, you know, and we read through the past and we go, and then Jesus, he was in the courtyard and he was tried and, and oh man, it's so powerful, but, but he was there. The crumbling rock was there to watch Jesus be condemned, judged, denying him in the process. And here's the extraordinary thing about it Jesus knew he would. Jesus knew he would be there. Jesus knew that he would deny. Jesus told him he would deny him. Jesus, I mean, Jesus lays it out to Peter. He goes, Peter, you sound great right now before the before the, the last supper. He says, or during the last supper, he says, You sound really fantastic right now, but I'm telling you right now, before the end of the day, before the cock crows, you're gonna deny me three times. Peter's like, No, 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 not a chance, not a chance. And yet he crumbles. Should be the rock, and I'm just clay. Peter's mind. Says, so what if you're a slave? So what if you're a slave? So what if the emperor is a psychopath? And the emperor that was ruling at the time was. Kind of moved in the bloodline. They were all a little crazy. So what? If If you're a servant under an unjust servant. He says, so what if life is unfair? How often do we look for the world? We want the world to be fair. It's not fair. We want to fair this. We want to fair that. We want to fair this. We want to fair that. Everything needs to be balanced. Everything should be even. And for Peter, that was not a necessity. I think he hearkens back even further. When Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to his disciples, he says, you got no... What what's the merit? What's the profit of loving your friends? Loving your enemies? That's a work of God. And I think in Peter's mind, he says, man, this is the example Jesus gave us. And he uses a word that's translated here in, uh, in verse, um, verse 21, leaving you an example. He uses a word that does not appear anywhere else in the Bible. In fact, it is so rare in what we have in Greek literature that there are only three known uses of this word. In everything we have, and we have a lot of ancient texts. And the word is simgramos. Gramos is the word we get grammar from. Um, it means to write. Uh, I'm sorry, not simgramos, hippogramos. Hippo means uh, on top of, like a, a hypo. All right. 
a hippogrammos, um, as near as we can tell from other places, and, and one of the places that it appears is in a, a book called Second Maccabees. Um, and we have a couple of things that we think are the templates for this. The idea was you would have, um, when you were learning to write, and we all did this when we were learning to write. You remember, some of you may not have learned to write, but you, you, you just went right to typing. Um, my generation will be the last generation to know a world without the internet. Um, my daughter has never been in a world with card catalogs. Um, yeah, I know, huh? There's no excuse for bad papers. Um, my excuse was always there wasn't a card on that. You know, I had them all in my pocket. Uh, when you were learning to, to write a language, it was very expensive for paper was a very expensive medium, so you didn't learn to write on paper. You usually, you learn to write in wax, okay? Um, and we go, what? All right, they would have these little wax tablets and you would, you would write and in, carve into it with a, like a stylus. And then when you were done, you just heated it and of course the wax all melted and it got clear again and then you could write in it again. That, that was how you learned to write. Um, so obviously you needed something to follow as you were writing and, and um, they, we found, and we think that this word applies, but the archaeologists have found these um, written, perfectly written letters Right? In Greek, there aren't capitals and lowercase letters. There's just one form of letters at this time. Um, and these perfectly written letters with the proper strokes and everything like that. And, and children, with their little wax tablets, the teacher would take this, this thing and he would lay it down and the children would all sit in the table all together, you know, and they, and they would copy the strokes into the wax. And then they would erase it and they would copy the strokes into the wax again and they would continue to do this and the example that they worked on is the hippogrammos this is this is what we are copying this is what we want to copy perfectly this is this is the example the exemplar the the one that everything extends from the hippogrammos this is what we copy, and Jesus is our model, our example, our hippogrammos. Peter couldn't fully. Peter couldn't fully follow Christ until he saw Christ judged, condemned, crucified, and raised again. This is one of the issues that we, we, we encounter in modern Christianity because we say, wow, follow Jesus. And, and follow Jesus means a lot of things to a lot of people. And for, a lot, for many people, following Jesus just means, oh, Jesus taught a good moral code. Jesus taught a good way to live your life. Jesus taught a, 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 a system, you know, and if we just copy him in his steps, if we just follow what he's doing, what would Jesus do? You know, all these questions. But those questions are invalid without the judged Condemned, crucified, raised again, Jesus. Peter thought he was following Jesus right up until the point that he crumbled because he couldn't understand who Jesus really was and what Jesus was doing. 
and who, who he, was, he was making Peter into through those experiences. You say, so why, why, do we, why do we bring up the crucifixion and the resurrection? I think certain traditions dwell on the crucifixion. You know, Jesus is up on a cross staring at you. you know? I don't think that's what we need to be doing at all. Um, you know, uh, that's, n- that's not our, our position. But we need to understand the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ in order to truly follow him because we have to see Jesus as the exemplar of everything we are. This is an incredibly terrible illustration of it, but hopefully it will make, make sense. Those of you that have text messaged with me, you know I abbreviate nothing. I write every single word out. I use proper punctuation. Now, it's a lot easier now with an iPhone. But back in the days when you had the... You know, you had just the number pad and you were trying to text with that bad boy. It was real tempting to just abbreviate stuff, not use proper capitalization. I am obsessive about making sure capitalization is correct, punctuation is correct, spelling is correct. Why? And I require my daughter to do the same thing. I do not accept LOL as an answer to things. All right? That is not a word. It never will be. All right? Um, and, and I don't accept words that aren't words, that we just decide to invent into words. All right? I, I want that to be done properly. Why? Imagine a world where you only learn half of the alphabet. Can you really write English? No. Imagine a world where you don't spell things out. You just hope that people understand what you mean. You'd have Hebrew, but that's beside the point. Only language in the world that they decided to write the vowels 2,000 years after they wrote the consonants. I'm not making it up. That's how Hebrew works. Um, they, they said, oh, maybe we should tell people what these vowels are. What do you guys think? Oh, yeah, let's all get together and figure out what the vowels are. Um, and the reality is, without the full alphabet, without the, the full understanding of the sentence, without the full comprehension of how the language works, you can't really use the language. And without the full example of Christ, without the full hippogrammos, without the full exemplar of all He is revealed to be in the four Gospels, to a certain extent, you're following part of Jesus, but not all of Him. And that was what Peter was doing. We all do it. It's, it's our process of learning and growing into Christ. I'm not saying that you all are, you know, oh, well, if you're not as mature as me, you need to get straight and be like me. And that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is God is building us into the fullness of who he wants us to be. And in order for us to do that, we have to embrace all of who Christ is. And Peter needed to do that. And his response to that that is revealed here is he learns he learns what it means to respect honor and even love those that everybody else hates because of the model that Christ gave him he says it doesn't matter whether those in authority over you are good or bad just or wicked 
We honor them. We endure suffering as Christ did. Because what does it matter? It, if you did something wrong, you deserve to be punished. But when you get punished for something you didn't do wrong, can you still endure in the grace of Christ? That's what he asks them. Can you continue to follow Christ? Is that really the core of who you are? Or is it just something that's convenient from time to time? Something to be evoked when spiritual things need to be evoked? This is a difficult reality for all of us. It is hard. It is hard because unlike Peter, we didn't go to the courtyard. We weren't best friends with Jesus for three years. We didn't get divine revelation. I mean, Peter, Peter, Jesus has always given Peter directions. You know, Jesus always, he's always, I mean, his last words to Peter are, are instructions on what to do the rest of his life. And even then, Peter gives him, talks back to him. Uh, you know, Peter, Peter's still learning. You know, P- Jesus gives Peter all this forgiveness and all these instructions and tells him what's going to go on in his life. And the first thing that happens in Peter's, the next thing Peter says at the end of the book of John, after Jesus does all this stuff, Peter goes, so what about this guy? I mean, that, that's just Peter. He's, he's growing, he's maturing. At the end of his life, though, he can look back at his life and say, I saw the suffering Messiah. Do anything I suffer, I want to suffer it like he does like he did. He's the example for my life. He's the exemplar. And sometimes I, sometimes I copy his life in my little wax tablet and I get it wrong and it has to be erased and it has to be redone. And that's okay because the exemplar doesn't change even when I fail. Christ continues to be the example of my life and I, I can melt that wax tablet and I can work again. And I can continue to try to be more and more like Him. And there's no guilt or fear or shame in stumbling my way toward living my life like the suffering Messiah. And giving my life like He did if I need to. That was Peter's faith. I think it's expressed so beautifully and emotionally, powerfully here hearkening back to the Old Testament through his life experience. and You say, what's the application for this? Well, I don't know everything that's going on in your life. Some things I probably don't want to know. But as we, as we go through life, we get good times and bad times, and what defines how our faith is developing and growing is not the good times. It's the bad times. What defines whether I honor those I disagree with is not, def- it, it, it is not when I'm dealing with people I agree with, but rather when I deal with people I disagree with. Who I am as a follower of Christ is defined by when I am opposed in my following of Christ. Because anybody can follow Jesus when things are good and happy. You know? Jesus wants you to be healthy and wealthy and wise. And in order to do that, he got killed and beaten and broken. That's not the message of the gospel. The gospel message of the gospel is life is going, we're going to suffer. We are going to be opposed. We are going to face difficulty. The Apostle Paul puts it in supernatural languages. He says, we wrestle not with the powers of this world. 
The opposition is spiritual in nature. The opposition is, uh, is powerful. And so we follow Christ, our exemplar. And when we fail, we own our mistakes like Peter did, and we continue to seek to follow Christ. I hope that as followers of Christ, you, you recognize that in your journey and your pursuit of Christ, you will fail and you will stumble and you will fall and you will deny. Just like Peter, Jesus isn't done with you when that happens. You will face opposition and you won't always respond the right way. It takes a, a good man and a good woman to do the wrong thing. Admit they did the wrong thing. Seek to do the right thing. That's a good man. That's a good woman. That's a good mom. That's a good dad. That's a good kid. To do it because you recognize in Christ the exemplar of your life. Recognize in Christ our wounded God in an unfair world. Join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our lives. Open up our hearts and our feelings and our longings and our desires. Our difficulties, our struggles, our pains. Open them so that we can see and so that we can allow your work in them that we might be more like Christ. Give us the confidence in our suffering model. Suffer. To be agents of grace in that. Not that we would seek it out, but when it comes to us that we might model Christ for those that are watching. Help us to transform our inner values. That they might conform with our suffering Savior. Strengthen our faith that it might endure opposition. Strengthen our faith that we might identify with Christ in even the darkest times. Lord, help us to be more like Christ. We ask this in His precious name, through the power of His resurrection. Amen. I invite you.